With that said, we're going to invite Trevor. Where's Trevor? There he is. Would you welcome Trevor as he comes up? You can take front and centre stage. It's always a great pleasure to have Trevor with us. He's come how many times now? This is four, five, six, seven, who's counting? Somewhere there. We always love having Trevor back. In fact, there was a, uh, a one-day seminar yesterday. Who managed to come along to that from here? Quite a few people. There's about 50-odd people. It was great. I managed to come for some of it. And just such a, an incredibly important and foundational message that speaks not only to the truth of Scripture, but into the ultimate need that we see around us, this reality of identity, who we are created in His image. So we love Trevor, and we're going to pray for him and just let him loose to share whatever. Yes, can we do that for a Brit? It sounds so way too outside the comfort zone. Let's pray for him and then see what the Lord wants to do. So Father, we thank you for Trevor. We thank you for his heart for you. We thank you for all that you have done in and through his life, all that you are doing, even in the midst of some challenging circumstances that he faces in his family, and all that you will do. Thank you that in you, the picture is from glory to glory. And I want to just prophesy and proclaim that over your life, Trevor, that the latter years are better than the former. It doesn't taper off. You reach your peak and it's down there. It's just increase. increase. It's glory to glory. So we just bless you with increased favor in this coming season in your life. We uh, just pray, Lord, that you'd open the right doors for him, that you'd lead him into what it is you have for him in the coming days, weeks, and months. And this morning, Lord, we thank you for the word that you placed on his heart. Pray even right now just for a fresh touch of your spirit. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your enabling, empowering presence. May your word be proclaimed with a joyful boldness this morning and a confidence, not in his words or the message, but in you and in your power to accomplish all that you desire this day in the hearts and lives of your people. We thank you for him. We bless him today in Jesus' name. We say amen. amen. Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much, Andrew. It really is great to be here. Um, I think last time I came, you were in this building, but you just had about this room sorted out. Um, I remember the other place as well, but this is great. What a beautiful facility you have here. I particularly like your coffee shop. Maybe we, uh, it's probably a few too many of us to cram in there this morning. You make good coffee as well. Thank you. Um, as you can tell, I'm a Brit. I haven't got the accent that you guys have got, um, but we feel in many ways quite connected with Australia. Um, Linda and I live in the UK, uh, but all of our children live in the Southern Hemisphere. Our youngest daughter's up on the Sunshine Coast in uh, Queensland. I mean, what a place to live, the Sunshine Coast. You know, when you live in England, that just sounds so, oh my goodness, you know. And she's up there with the kiddos and her family. And then our other two are over in New Zealand, in Auckland and Palmerston North. And that's partly the drama that's been going on for those who need to know. Um, our son has not been at all well, had to go into hospital unexpectedly this week. And because we were on the right side of the world for once, my wife decided to take a flea hop across the ditch. And so she's over in New Zealand. But uh, 
she sends her greetings and love to any that know her and remember her. And she's praying for us this morning, which is really good. So uh, she'll be back, hopefully, in a couple of weeks, and we're going to spend Christmas up enjoying the sunshine up here in Queensland. But um, that's a little bit of why we're here at the moment. But we've been connected with many of you for a number of years now on the journey that God has for us in our lives. We encountered uh, Jim and uh, Jean. I was going to call you Lynn for a minute. I know you're not, <laughs> Jim and Jean, we met many years ago over in New Zealand and we stayed connected. And Jean reminded me yesterday that it was through her that we first came here. So it's really good to, for that to continue. And it's good to, to sense where God is leading us in these times. That there's a whole feel of continuity um, that I sensed this morning when we were here. I, I just loved it that we the first song that we sang this morning was written in the 17th century, in 1674, that song that we sang, that, we, that God was doing something nearly 500 years ago, and, and God's doing stuff today. There's a continuity in us as the people of God that is way bigger than just something that's going on in, in Canberra at this time. You know, COVID has done its thing through the world and continues to do so in many places. And, and people are asking questions about, so how do we now do church after this? And, and there is a sense of looking back also to see what God has done before. Because plagues have happened all through the ages. And God's people have had to respond through terrible experiences. So when we sang that song this morning, that hymn, uh, it took me back to the 16th century. Not that I was around then. <laughs> Just like to point that out. Ha having hit a rather large birthday last month with a seven on the front, I'm feeling my age a little. But I wasn't there in the 17th century, <laughs> thankfully. God's people all through the centuries have had to respond to circumstances that are deeply challenging. Every generation's had to face things. And where we were being encouraged to go this morning was to take those circumstances and receive the love and the anointing of that God is pouring out into our hearts in these days. It's, it's so important that we position ourselves to receive all that God has got for us. So it was wonderful just to participate in that worship this morning. Thank you, whoever the team were. Um, I get to visit quite a few churches, and it's so lovely to see the various expressions of this. But that song, written in the 17th century, I want to go back a bit further, because I want to open up a story that happened just over 2,000 years ago. Of course, it's, I'm talking about the scriptures, so our con sense of continuity of what God is doing in us today goes right back to the coming of Jesus himself and those early followers of his. Men and women just like us who had to try and make sense of their world, which was very different from our world, but just as challenging. These were ordinary men and women, and, and we meet many of them in the pages of the New Testament. Over the last uh, few years, I've, I've been having a look at the life of Paul, the apostle, and uh, I've had some real surprises in this character of Paul. 
Because I've discovered he's a man who is so like us. And it's his story, nearly 2,000 years ago, that I want us to think about briefly this morning, because it all ties together. Now, those of you who know your Bibles, you know, you, you know that Paul started off not by the name of Paul, but the name of Saul, and he was a Pharisee, born in a city called Tarsus in modern-day Turkey, but grew up in Jerusalem, trained in the Pharisees' university under the great Gamaliel, and he was the top boy. He was head of the class. You know, he called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible in Hebrew and recite them. Now, how many of you ever memorized those in English, let alone Hebrew? How many of you spend time memorizing the list of names in numbers? Mm, that's a bit of a challenge, wouldn't it? Well, these Pharisees were totally convinced that their way of doing things was what God wanted them to do. And they particularly um, were out to, well, I was going to say trip up anyone who didn't do it right. Well, they did. They, they were very concerned that everyone was orthodox and did it the right way. And when this Jesus of Nazareth came along and they realized that he was not just a typical rabbi, but he was carrying something and a teaching that was totally foreign to them. The Pharisees in particular turned on Jesus. You can read that in the Gospels. And whether Saul of Tarsus, a young man in Jerusalem, whether he actually saw or heard Jesus speak, we don't know. But I'm pretty sure he saw him die because he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was dead. And when these followers of the way, as they were known, started to talk about Jesus is risen from the dead, he knew they were wrong. He knew they were misled and misguided. In fact, these followers of the way started to call Jesus the Son of God. And that made it even worse, because not only were they wrong, but they were blasphemers in Saul's eyes. So he... As you know, he began to persecute the church. But he had an incredible encounter one day on a journey that he was taking to Damascus where, surprise, surprise, he met in person the risen Jesus. It's almost funny, really. You know, the person he refuses to believe is alive appears to him on the road to Damascus. And everything changed for him. In that moment, everything changed. Some years later, he's explaining this to the, um, the then king of, of Judea, a guy called King Agrippa and the Roman governor, and he said, that's what happened to me on that road. I met him. And when he, he spoke to me, he gave me a commission. He said, I want you to take what you have seen of me and the things that I will show you to the whole world. Take it to the Jews, take it to the Gentiles, so that their eyes will be opened and they will be able to turn from darkness to light. It was a very, very clear commission he was given to open their eyes. And Jesus said to Saul, as he was still called then, talk about what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Big commission. Paul's being told there are going to be things that he sees with the eyes of his heart that the other disciples hadn't seen at that point. 
Now, if you roll it back to Jesus for a moment, when Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room on that last evening, he said to them, I've got so much more that I want to tell you. But you can't take any more. I mean, they'd had three years with Jesus, and to be fair, they still didn't quite get it. You know, none of us would have been like that. Three years with Jesus would have been there, right? (laughs) Well, if you were, good for you. But the boys didn't always get it. You know, Jesus says, you know where I'm going, don't you? You know the way. And they're all going, do you know where he's going? (laughs) What's he talking about? You ask him. You know. So so Jesus had more to tell them. But he says, you can't take it at the moment. But he said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will explain these things to you. He will show you these things. There's so much more. And so Saul, on the road to Damascus, Jesus says to him, I'm going to show you things that others haven't seen. I want you to talk about what you have seen, which is the risen Jesus, and things I will show you. And that's how he began his ministry. Well, it didn't begin the next day. It began probably... 15 to 17 years later. And we sometimes think that this call of God in his life, there was an instant stepping into it. It took a while for Saul to have the Pharisee worked out of his heart and the love of God to be poured in so that he began to see things in a completely different way. He tells us in Galatians, he went off to Arabia for three years. Doesn't say what happened there. But obviously there was... Things going on in his heart. I've wondered what sort of things. He'd just been forgiven by Jesus for having persecuted and killed Christians. That's a wonderful forgiveness. But he's a man who'd persecuted them. He could probably see their faces. He could imagine the heartbreak in families where he had killed somebody. So I imagine there was a lot of healing needing in Paul's heart as he began to process what God had done. So three years in Arabia. Then he went back to Jerusalem. Well, last time he was there, he was persecuting the church. So to have him turn up one Sunday morning, say, hi guys, I'd like to join the church, people would have probably been a little bit worried. Or worse, angry, or he killed my family. You know, there was great tension. And wisely, the apostles there said, you know, Saul, we think probably... Not just yet. And they sent him home. He went off to Tarsus and he stayed there for many years. Eventually, the story continues, a man called Barnabas went and found him and said, come and help me. I've got this huge church growing in a place called Antioch. Let's do it together. And so Paul, who had been called by Jesus on the day that he met him on the road to Damascus, many years later, finally finds himself in a context with other believers where he's able to exercise the gifts that God had given him to do. It's quite a surprise, really, isn't it? The the time scale it took. But then, God's never in a rush. He has his own time scale for all of us which is also a bit annoying sometimes, isn't it? When we want him to fix it now, he's often working through a process in our hearts. And I'm sure that's what happened for Paul. So off he goes, and he starts 
his great missionary adventures. We, we read about three missionary journeys in Acts. He, his name gets changed to Paul in Cyprus, and, and, and so it goes on. Now, I don't know what you think Paul must have been like. I, I grew up in a church context, a Baptist church, where we knew the Bible, and I, and I was actually given, my second name is Paul. And I remember my parents saying, well, we hope you'll be just like Paul. I think it's closer to the truth than they realized because I discovered that Paul wasn't always on the ball. He was a great church planter, but there were times when he got quite depressed. Now, I'm not saying I'm, or maybe I am. Yeah, I have my moments, right? As did Paul. What I discovered looking at his life was it wasn't glorious and wonderful every minute. You know, he, he is a great apostle to the nations. He took the gospel to Europe and all this sort of stuff. But at the same time, he's a man who's struggling with life and what life throws at him. And he recognizes the need to continually live in that place of receiving, as we were being encouraged earlier. He saw that that is a key to it. Well, when... When you look through Acts, you, you can you see he went to this place and started a church there. He went somewhere else and he started a church there. You could think, wow, goodness me, <laughs> I could never be like Paul. He's the great superstar. Well, if you look a little bit below the surface and you read what he says in his letters, it wasn't as straightforward as that. I mean, one of those churches in particular that he started was the church in Corinth. Well, you know, because you've probably read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, it was not an easy church. He loved those people. Many of them he'd led to the Lord. Some of them he'd baptized. He'd encouraged leaders. But things very quickly turned to custard in Corinth. Do you use that expression here? Okay. I, I pick up these expressions I never know where I've... In England, if I said that, they'd all go, what? In England, we say pear-shaped. But anyway, never mind. It all turned to custard in Corinth. All sorts of struggles went on. And so he'd moved on, and he found it necessary to write to them. He loved them so much, and he wrote this letter, which was pretty hard in places. And then he waited to see what reaction he got. Well, that was the problem. The reaction wasn't brilliant. It wasn't that good. And we read in his second letter to the Corinthians how he felt about the responses he got. He, he'd been traveling around through Asia Minor. This is the start of his second missionary journey. And it began when his friend Barnabas said, oh, let's go visit the churches we planted before. Yep, good idea. But I want to take John Mark with me. This is the guy who'd walked out on them. And suddenly, the great apostle Paul finds he's had a major fallout with Barnabas. So much so, they split. Now, you're not meant to read things like that in the Bible. It's all meant to be wonderful step after step. He begins his second ministry journey having had a major argument with his best friend. Barnabas took John Mark off to Cyprus, and Paul takes his friend Silas off into Asia Minor. And every step of the way, it's hard work. Almost every context he's in, he encounters opposition. He encounters, encounters these Pharisees 
who were following around, telling him that what he was teaching was wrong. It was a terrible experience. And when you look through 2 Corinthians, it's his most open and honest letter. He is going like this. Each step of the way, there's more trouble. Each experience is more challenging than the last, and he's not coping very well. Now, this is a different view of Paul than I, I grew up with. But that's where I discovered there were some similarities. And for many of us, we encounter circumstances in life when we're not coping very well, where we struggle. And so when Paul finally writes this second letter to the Corinthians, the context is this. He's desperate for news from Corinth. He'd sent one of his friends, a really close working friend called Titus, to Corinth. He'd sent him to find out how things were. He desperately wanted to know. You know, when you're having struggles like that, and in this context with a church where not everyone agreed with him, you want to know what's going on, don't you? Who can you trust? Who'll tell me what's really happening there? And he decided to send Titus. But then the weeks and the months roll by, and he doesn't hear any news. So it gets more challenging for him. And eventually, he kind of starts heading back up around the Aegean Sea, hoping to hear news of Titus. Well, that's one level. On another level, if that's not enough, when he's in the place, a city in Asia, which is probably Ephesus, terrible things happened. He was encountered opposition unlike anything he'd ever experienced before. And when he begins writing to these Corinthians, he's talking about some of the things that have happened to him. And this is what he says. He says, um, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. That's Ephesus. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now that is incredibly honest, isn't it? But what a picture it paints. He said it was so bad that we were under great pressure. Now, if you put that into 21st century speak, he's saying, I was stressed off the scale. I couldn't take any more stress. Now, the minute you start talking about stress, all of us think, oh, yeah, I know a bit about that. Because all of us have stress that we have to deal with. And Paul says, I couldn't take any more. He says, far beyond our ability to endure. I, I can hear Paul saying, okay, God, I cannot cope with anything else. Don't hit me with anything else. I can't cope with life. Have you ever been there? Have you had those moments where you thought, I can't can't handle any more of this? What's this all about? Victorious Christian life? Get a life? That's not my life. I'm struggling here. That's what Paul's saying. He said, we even despaired of life itself. We felt the sentence of death. That's heavy. Paul got to the point where he's thinking, you know what? Death would be a happy release. I'm talking about the great Apostle Paul. 
The man who we perhaps put up on a pedestal thinking he knows how to handle it all, who writes such glorious things revealed to him by Jesus, but also in his ordinary life really struggled. He needed so much to know the presence of God in him. When he wrote to Corinthians, that's his state of mind. He's down, he's depressed, he's struggling, he desperately wants news from Corinth and it's not coming. But how does he begin this letter? He says this, usual introductions, who it's written to, who he is, and then he says this in verse 3 of chapter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. You know, he's writing to the Corinthians. He could have said, you know, the God who raises the dead, the God who pours out his Holy Spirit, the God of miracles, because that's what they were interested in. But instead, he says he's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. In all our troubles, he's not sitting there on his high horse saying, he comforts you, dear friends. No, he says, comforts us. He's saying, I, Paul, needed to know it. I needed comfort because I was up to my eyes in troubles. He calls God the father of compassion. Very carefully chosen word. See, compassion is an emotion. It's what makes the difference between looking at someone who's in distress and saying, oh, that's terrible, which is pity, and saying, oh, that's terrible, can I help you? See, compassion wants to do something about the distress. And he says, that's, the, that's what Father God is like. It echoes back to the words of Moses, or rather words written by Moses in Exodus 33 and 34. When he was up against it, he was saying, I can only do this, lead this people, if you go with me, God. So would you reveal your glory to me? Very kind of similar character to Paul. And God says, yeah, well, if I showed you my glory, you wouldn't live. But I will hide you in the rock and I will pass by and you will see my glory and I will declare my name to you. And that's what the Lord God does. He passes by Moses in the rock and says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate one. It's the first word that he uses to describe himself. The Lord God Almighty is full of compassion. This strong emotion that comes from the very heart of God that sees our desperate needs and says, I want to come to you and help you in that place. That's what Paul discovered the, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus was like. He was the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, sometimes... <clears throat> We think as Christians we're okay and it's a bit weak to need comfort. You know, the rest of this letter, Paul says the opposite. He says, it's in our weakness, it's in our troubles, it's in all the hardships that we face in life that Father comes to us and comforts us. 
You know, we were being encouraged to press into the presence of God this morning. And that's how he does it. He comes and comforts us. You know, if you ask the question, what does love look like? And we were wanting to bask in the love of God. Well, what does his love look like to us? How do we know we're loved? We were talking about this yesterday. Well, it comes through things like comfort. You know, when you're in need and when you're feeling low, what do you need? You often need somebody just to come alongside, maybe not say anything, maybe just reach out their hand, maybe just put their arm around you, maybe just look you in the eyes, but we're needing something from each other. And Paul says, that's how Father comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He's saying this is how it works. This is how receiving love from God works. It works through each other. It comes into us not just to make us feel better, but in order for us to let it pour out. We heard this morning about the rivers of living water flowing out from us. That river of the flow of the life of God into us is meant to flow out where to? To each other. Into the broken and wounded world that we live in. And comfort is such a powerful expression of that life of God flowing into us. Paul experienced it. It made all the difference in the world to him. And he says that it was hard, but God comforted us in it. Think all sorts of things were going on in Paul's life at that time. In, in 2 Corinthians, he writes his list. He, he describes his stress scale of the stuff that he was going through. It's, if you think you're having a bad day, read 2 Corinthians 11 sometime. Your day will rapidly improve. Unless, of course, you've been shipwrecked during the course of the day. Um, Paul says, this was my life. This was my normal experience, was struggle every step of the way. And you think, well, hang on. Aren't we meant to live a victorious Christian life? Yeah. How? As we allow God to comfort us in the struggles. It's not to pretend we're not in struggles. You see, Paul says, you know, I faced death again and again. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged. I've had the 39 lashes five times. Can you imagine what his back must have looked like? Get lashed once 39 times and it would have been shreds. Five times. I've been beaten with rods. I was stoned. We read about that in Acts. When you were not meant to survive stoning. It was meant to kill you. But miraculously, Paul survived. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. You know, if you get shipwrecked once, that's terrible. Twice. Even worse. Three times, Paul stopped going by boat. <laughs> and that doesn't include the shipwreck in, at the end of Acts. That's another one. That's number four. I mean, that's a struggle for this man. Constantly on the move. Listen to this. I've been in danger from rivers. Well, that happens here in Australia, doesn't it? With all the floods, you get that. In danger from my own countrymen. 
I'm in danger from Gentiles. I'm in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. What? He's added, he's in danger from Christian brothers who are out to get him. You know, that's sometimes the hardest thing of all to cope with, isn't it? When Christian brothers, in some way or other, we fall out with. I guess he's talking about Barnabas, but maybe there were others. I don't know whether Barnabas was a false brother, but certainly there were rifts between brothers there. He includes that as some of the struggles he has to face. Now, let's be honest. We may be more familiar with that one than shipwrecks. We may struggle with our Christian experience with other Christians. And in those places, what does Paul need? He needs comfort, just like we do. I've labored harder, I've gone without sleep, I've known hunger and thirst and food, I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Anyone want to be an apostle? It was hard for him. But he tapped into the most glorious reality that God is a father of compassion and the God of all comfort who meets us and comforts us in all those circumstances. You know, we see Jesus needing comfort. You know, you think Jesus, you know, the the eternal son of God, he was all okay, but no, he was lonely at times. He said to his father once, you know, father, only you know the son and only the son knows you. There's no one on this planet who knows us. And he was lonely. That night in the upper room where the disciples were asking their questions, it was clear they didn't get what he was saying. And at the end of the evening, he went out to pray on the Mount of Olives and he said to his closest buddies, I really need you tonight to pray with me, to watch with me while I go and pray. Will you do that for me? And they said, yeah, of course, Jesus. We are boys. And off Jesus goes and prays. And he comes back. And how are they doing? They're all snoozing. And we're told in the Gospels that an angel came and comforted him. Jesus needed comfort as well. Paul needed comfort. Clearly there are moments when the supernatural power of God comes and pours his comforting love into our hearts. What surprised me as I've looked at the life of Paul over these last few years is the number of times Jesus and angels turn up to help him. He has visions. He has dreams. He wakes up in the middle of the night and Jesus is there again speaking to him saying to him things like, in Corinth, there are many of my followers in this city. You're doing a good job, son. Things like that. He clearly had the supernatural connection with God as Father, as we all can. And that's the most glorious thing, when suddenly God supernaturally breaks into our life and we sense his love being poured in and his presence is so real you can almost cut the air because it's so thick. We've had those moments. But also, Paul had those moments when he didn't feel anything. 
and he struggled and he wondered. His overriding concern when he wrote 2 Corinthians is how are those people getting on in Corinth? How did Titus find them? Oh, I wish I could see Titus. I wish he could tell me what happens. So he leaves Ephesus. He moves on and he starts heading up the modern day coast of Turkey. He goes to Troas, hoping to find Titus there. He's not there either. Crosses over into Macedonia. And he says in 2 Corinthians, finally, we reached Macedonia. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 7, he says this. When we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. I mean, he's exhausted physically. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside and fears within. Isn't that honest? He's saying, I know as much of the battle was inside as it was outside. And I guess we can all identify with that. You know, when we're going through the stuff, what is going on in here often doesn't help. And we imagine all these things. Paul was in the same place. He was full of these struggles outside and within. And then he says, but God. <laughs> I love that, but God. One of the great preachers of the 20th century was a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones. Some of you may have come across him. He preached a series of sermons on but God. There's so much material. That's Paul's experience. In the midst of the hardship, but God did something. Well, what did God do? But God who comforts the downcast, and that was certainly how Paul felt, comforted us. How? By the coming of Titus. Titus turned up. Titus arrived in Macedonia and he came to see Paul, bringing news, finally, news from Corinth. Titus came and was a means of bringing the comfort of God to Paul. And listen to what he says. Titus came, and, and we were comforted by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given to him. When Titus had got to Corinth... He really worked hard with the church and they resolved all the issues between them and Paul. And so they were able to comfort Titus. He was encouraged and filled up with that comfort of God from the Corinthians. He's able to travel to Macedonia. He meets Paul and because he's comforted, he's able to pour comfort into Paul. See, right at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we might comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He comforts us in order for us to carry his comforting love to people around us. You know what it feels like when someone who is not feeling comforted themselves try to comfort you. It doesn't feel right, does it? You know it's more about them than you. Because we're not stupid. We can read people. 
But when that person, filled with this wonderful presence of God, and out of their heart is flowing this river of living water, which includes this comfort from the Father himself, we know the difference. We can feel it. Paul knew exactly what it was about. He says, he told us, this is Titus, he, Titus, told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. See, the consequences of being comforted is it releases the joy in our hearts. Jesus, when he prayed to his Father in John 17, prayed that the joy that the Father and Son shared together would be our experience. Can you imagine that? That we would have the same level of joy as God the Father and the Son and the Spirit have together. As we open up our hearts, as we allow him to pour his love in, as we receive comfort in all of our troubles, that joy begins to be restored. It doesn't mean to say we all go around skipping and dancing and clapping our hands, but the joy changes us. Sometimes we need a Titus, don't we? We need a Titus in our lives. Somebody who comes along and just hits the spot with what we need. They say just the right words at the right time. Well, not only do we need someone to be like that, you may be a Titus. You may be the person who Father wants to use to bring comfort to somebody else in all of their troubles. That as you've received what Father's given you, when you meet with someone and they're starting to pour out their woes or whatever it is, they're chatting over a coffee, inside that welling up comes that sense of, oh, the compassion of God. And what do we want to do? We want to reach out. Maybe look them in the eye. Maybe that's all you have to do. The eyes are the window of the soul. When we look into people's eyes, having been filled ourselves with the love of the Father and his comfort, what is flowing out but his comfort, his love? He uses human eyes. He uses human arms and hands. That's why you have healing rooms. That's why we have all these programs of Christmas which are reaching out to people. They're an expression of this. But there's a deeper, deeper reality here. For all of us, we can be Tituses. Now, maybe you're not in that place yet. That's okay. Maybe you're in need of a Titus. And that's perfectly legitimate. There's nothing wrong or shameful about needing to be comforted. We prayed this morning in the worship that, that, that shame would be taken away from us. Sometimes the shame that we carry is because we feel we're not good enough, we've got so much going on, I can't cope any longer. What do we need? We need comfort. It's not wrong to need comfort because Father will bring a Titus along your path or you might even have a visitation in the night from the Lord himself. Either way, either way, it's a means Father uses to comfort us. You know, Paul, one of his great revelations was that we are in Christ and we're in him and he's in us. So when we are talking, when we're living our life, we are being the presence of God to people. We're carrying it. It's in us. It's in our bodies. It's in our eyes. 
That's how and why we can comfort one another. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul got right to the end of the letter. And he said, you know what? I've been so ashamed of feeling weak. My weakness, in fact, has been a struggle. I've prayed for things like my thorn in the flesh. It never goes away. I know it's a messenger from Satan. I never get over it. It's always there. But, God... I'm realizing that in my weakness, in my need, in my sense of things not getting fixed in the way that I want, Father comes and Jesus comes and says, you know what, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, you are strong because my strength will be enough. It's all tied up with receiving the comfort that we need from God. Now, I don't know what's going on in any of your lives. Obviously, I'm just passing through. You don't know what's going on in my life. But I know my need for comfort. I've needed Tituses to come along my path this year to encourage me, to comfort me. And it's wonderful. So I just want to say to you this morning, if you're in need of a Titus, the first step is to actually admit it and say, yeah, that's where I'm at. I need, I need some help here. And you are in a good place for that. I know this fellowship is full of Tituses. People that would love to meet with you. Or maybe it's the other way around and you know that you're carrying something that Titus carried today. So open up to what, where Father might lead you. I, I don't know how you do ministry times in this church. I should, I should have asked at the beginning. But I didn't. But I know that there are going to be people here that can be a Titus to you. I guess you have a team. So why don't we just take that moment to allow Father to use those dear folks from this church to be his comforting arms to you, to maybe look you in the eye, not necessarily do a long counseling talk, but just look in and say, you know, Father's loving you right now. He's enfolding you with his loving arms. Because the more we as his people are filled by this amazing love, the more we sense his presence in us and allow it to flow out from us, you know what? We won't be able to contain it in the walls. It will flow out just like that geyser you've got flowing out down your drive out the back into, into this community, into this city, in this country, and who knows? This is not meant to be kept in church buildings. It's kept in our hearts in order for it to flow out. So let, let's just pray together, shall we? Let's ask Father to highlight in us where those needs of comfort are. And I'm sure that as he does that to you, Maybe I'll hand over you to Andrew to kind of organize that ministry thing. But you know where I'm going, don't you? Let's pray first. Father, thank you that there's no pit so deep that you are not deeper still. There is no river so wide that we can't cross over. There's no experience of life so hard that you don't meet us in it. And Father, thank you that you bring across our path wonderful brothers and sisters who can be a Titus to us, to pour into us something that they've received, 
to help us through our circumstances. And Father, we look to you to comfort us. We need your comfort because we don't manage on our own. We're not meant to manage on our own. So Father, thank you that you are indeed the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from you. I would encourage you this morning to take the moment. You know, when these things happen like this in church, it's because Father's here. Jesus is with us. His Spirit is moving us to meet us in these things. Don't skip the opportunity. Don't let embarrassment or shame stop you from receiving what Father wants to do. Can we just stand together as we finish this morning? We're going to give the Lord some space, but just so I don't forget, Trevor will be in the cafe after the service. He's got a great selection of wonderful resources and books couple of books on Paul, a few in uh, various other spaces, so please avail yourself of those. But I think there's genuinely that sense of the Lord this morning, isn't there? What a glorious, wonderful, challenging invitation that He is the God who comforts us. He meets us where we are so that we might comfort others. So if we get the prayer team this morning, we have a wonderful team of people who would love to pray with you. And of course, you're more than welcome to come and receive ministry in any and every area. If you need a physical healing, if you need just a touch of the Lord in any area of your life, you're more than welcome to respond. But specifically this morning, I think the invitation is clear. That if you're in that place where you know, as Trevor's been speaking, as we're still allowing the Holy Spirit to minister, there's something inside and you're, you're just feeling that, that recognition from the Lord that that's, that's me. It's my belief this morning that the Lord loves nothing more than to come and to meet with us. The journey of knowing the Lord, it's not about reaching some place of self-sufficiency. It's about more and more recognizing our need of Him, our dependency upon Him. Paul said elsewhere in Philippians, he said, I can do all things, not because I've learned to rely upon my own strength, but I can do all things as I learn to rely upon His strength, His power and His provision. So you can respond just as we worship in your seats, but I think there's something that is important at times about us responding by just coming forward. Yes, God can meet with you, can send the angel to sovereignly strengthen you, but so often the way that the Lord loves to work is through others. That's what the prayer teams are this morning. They can be the, the catalyst for that comfort, to bring the comfort of God to pray for you, to love on you, 
to be those vessels to see his love poured out afresh, his compassion in our lives. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing this morning. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and you'd meet with each and every one of us. Do what you desire to do this morning. We give you permission. We give you room as we close this service. Come and have your way afresh. We pray in your wonderful.